What a, um, I, well, let me say it this way. I just love this Sunday of the year. I love the opportunity to gather together on the first Sunday of the year and talk about the year ahead. And that's exactly what I want to do this morning because I want to offer you three New Year's resolutions that will change your life. They will center your life and transform your life. New Year's resolutions go back 4,000 years. And initially, century after century, they were always spiritual resolutions. And this morning, I want to return to that. Now, I know today we all have mixed feelings about New Year's resolutions, right? Some of you love them. Uh, Most of us hate them. Uh, Some of you use them, most of us completely ignore them. Uh, I think of someone who said, the problem with the New Year's resolution is it's something that goes in one year and out the other. Mark Twain, uh, emphasizing uh, uh, this, said, uh, may your troubles last as long as your resolutions. And of all the resolutions I've looked at over the last uh, week or so, i got to tell you my favorite one is uh, uh, someone who uh, said, my New Year's resolution is to work on my low self-esteem, but I don't think I can. (laughs) And so some of you I know have resolutions, uh, others of you don't. I want to suggest some resolutions we can embrace together at the beginning of 2019 as a body of believers here at Wheaton Bible Church. A great opportunity, a great moment. Now, I am for resolutions, but I got to qualify that because I want you to know, I think the Bible, or I should say Christianity and what it teaches in the Bible offers us something deeper than resolutions, something more basic, more fundamental, more foundational, more holistic, and more lasting. And what for centuries have been called rules of life. So this morning I want to talk about three rules for life and then three resolutions that flow out of each one of these uh, rules. And what I want to do is look at what, according to the Bible, are the three most important rules of life. Because what these rules of life give us, or they clarify for us, are three primary roles and responsibilities as followers of Christ. So three, the three most important that clarify our three primary roles and responsibilities as followers of Christ. And we're going to look at these together, and actually these three are simple, but they're profound. Loving God, growing together, and reaching the world. Now yes, these are the three pillars of Wheaton Bible Church's mission statement. For that matter, they are the three pillars of hundreds and hundreds of other churches' mission. But what I want to do is take these one at a time and then apply them 
to our own lives. You see, because those three pillars aren't merely descriptions of what a healthy church looks like. They're a description of what you as a healthy believer, a healthy follower of uh, Jesus Christ looks like. And they are critical. And the reason they're critical is especially in light of what our culture is giving us, where we are in our, our culture today. Because our culture tells us you are loved and you are significant because of what you purchase, what you post, what you accomplish. And these three rules of life are like divine headphones that keep our culture today from talking you out of the beauty of the gospel at any given moment in your life. Years ago, I used to race sailboats. I was never very good, and sailboats never went fast enough for me. But I learned along the way that one of the keys to winning a sailboat race is how you start. And you need to start as you're in this sailboat race by making sure your boat is as upwind from as many of the other boats as possible at the very moment you cross the starting line when the gun goes off. So racing sailboats is a matter of watching the wind, watching the clock, and knowing the speed of your boat. And what those do for you is put you in a position, in the right position where the wind can take over. Loving God, growing together, and reaching the world is the same. It's what positions us as followers of Christ uh, to be in the right place, doing the right things, so the Holy Spirit can take over your life. And fill your sails with the winds of the Spirit. And so let's look at the first, and let's look at it in terms of what it has to say for us, this rule of life, loving God. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles. If We'll put it also on the screen to Matthew chapter 22, to Jesus' famous statement here. In verse 36, Jesus has asked a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Now for those of you that are investigating Christianity and are here this morning, I want you to notice a couple of things. Jesus assumes the existence of God. And here Jesus tells us we become what we desire. So don't miss this. Jesus is talking here about your desires. Because Jesus knows you become what you want. You become what you love. You become what you desire. So Jesus is talking here about the desires. And what he is doing in contrast to many other religions, is taking a radical approach to God, what we call an inside-out approach to knowing God, walking with God, loving God. So we do it from our heart. We do it from our soul. We do it from our mind. We do it from the inside out rather than the outside in, 
which often characterizes other religions. So Jesus is talking about desires. <coughs> point number one. Point number two, I want you to see that he's talking about the intensity of desires, or he's talking about calling us to intense desires. He says, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He's teaching us rule of life number one is order your desires. And ensure, do everything you can this coming year and year after year, that your greatest desire, your greatest passion in your life, your greatest want, your greatest hunger is to love God and to know God. Now, I'm calling these rules because we all live according to rules. You have rules for your appearance. What you want to do to get how you want to look. You have rules for your performance. If you're a student, rules for your, your studies, rules for work. We all have rules, often they're unconscious, that will enable us to capture our vision of whatever the good life is. But even though I'm calling these rules of life, I want you to see here in these verses that Christianity isn't ultimately about rules. It's about desires, your desires. It's about a heart relationship with God where we so love God. We so desire to know God we so enjoy God, we so want to experience God that that desire transcends all else. That's what Jesus is offering you. That's the invitation to rule of life number one here in Matthew chapter 22, uh, the great commandment. Did any of you see the movie Crazy Rich Asians? Yeah, a lot of you did. Really a lot of fun. And in that movie... There is a man by the name of Nick that is head over heels in love with Rachel. And Nick's love is so strong, so deep, so wide, that it overcomes all sorts of obstacles, obstacles that uh, transcends all sorts of odds. And as the movie unfolds, what you discover is that Nick loves Rachel with all his heart, all his soul, and all his mind. He enjoys her. He is committed to her. He will do anything to, uh, to win her. And Nick in the movie Crazy Rich Asians is a picture of God's love for you in Jesus Christ. And here in the great commandment, Jesus is saying that's the type of love we should have for God. And uh, frankly, I I'm going to speak personally, I'm going to say this as a pastor, and I didn't intend to say this at all. But one of the areas that really discourages me individually and gets me down as a pastor is how feeble our desire, my, uh, let me say it this way, how feeble my desire to love God is. 
the lack of desire to love God intensely that I see among the people of God. And as we start this year, I don't want to pretend that I'm down the road, that many of us are down the road, but Jesus is talking about something that's primary, fundamental, and intense. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And I look at this and I look at my life and I say, God, give me grace. God, give me grace. Jesus is here calling us to love the Father, to love the Son, to love the Holy Spirit. And I want to suggest he is offering you the opportunity of a lifetime and you have a choice. I mean, do you love God? God the Father created you. God the Son died to redeem you. God the Holy Spirit promises to fill you and to never let you go the moment you believe. Jesus Christ is the great physician. He's the good shepherd. He's the light of the world, uh, the prince of peace. Do you love him? When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father but through me. That is not narrow-minded, rigid egomania. It's a loving invitation that cost Jesus Christ his life. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrificial system. He's the promised Messiah, the promised Savior, the promised Lord, the King of Kings. Do you love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? Do you love him above all else? This is rule of life number one. And what it tells us is that the end game of Christianity, the end game of Christianity is existential. It's experiential. It's love. It's not merely uh, filling our notebooks. It's not merely doing this or doing that. It's ordering our desires. And may as we move into this new year, you want that. You desire your desires be ordered around God. Now, let me move from the rule to a resolution. Because I'll I'll just talk about my marriage and my marriage with Rhonda. Rhonda doesn't want me to love her theoretically. She wants me to love her specifically uh, with actions, little actions, medium-sized and big actions. You know, little things like taking out the trash and doing the dishes. I'm really good at dishes. Terrible at cooking, good at dishes. It's actually how I get out of cooking. And that, uh, that's what our spouses want from one another in, in a loving relationship. The same is true with God. God doesn't want you to love him theoretically. Oh, yeah, God, I, 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 I believe in you. God 
wants your love to be actionable, to be specific, to be measurable. So here we come to resolution number one that flows out of rule number one. Resolutions follow rules in the Bible. And I want to invite you, as we move into this year and beyond, to spend 20 minutes a day, at least 20 minutes a day, in Bible reading and prayer. And if you're new to this, if you haven't really uh, read the Bible, man, start with the Gospel of John or in the Old Testament, the book of Psalms. But wherever you are and as you continue to read uh, through the Bible or around the Bible, you're basically asking a couple of questions over and over. And one of those questions, or the primary question is, well, what does this teach me about God? The second question is, what does this teach me about myself and my problems? So you're looking for opportunities to thank God and worship God, and you're listening to the Word of God that you might confess sin and your brokenness and your failure where you need to love God. Now, here's why this matters so much. Because most of you, if you know Jesus Christ and as you travel through this year and the years to come, you're not going to be undone by poor theology. You're not going to be undone by a lack of biblical information. You're going to be undone because we haven't created space in our lives for deep communion with the living God. The single most important thing I have ever done as a man is this commitment to Bible reading and prayer. It's how I grow in my love for God. It's how I experience God. And if rule number one is loving God, I want to invite you into resolution number one as we begin this new year. 20 minutes. Bible reading and prayer. Let me go on to rule number two. Grow together. And here we want to turn to the book of Philippians in Philippians chapter 2 where Paul writes, talking about our relationships with one another, therefore if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. Now notice the word united. Paul is describing before he talks about our relationships with each other, our relationship with Jesus Christ, and he's talking about our union with Jesus Christ. The moment we believe in Jesus Christ, we are adopted into God's family, and we become united with Jesus in his death and resurrection. And so what our union with Christ means is that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. You are in Christ if you know Christ, and Jesus is in you. For I've been crucified, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He is always present. He is always there. He's always handling your stuff. And Paul says, because of this, and the encouragement from being united with Christ, if there is any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now Paul gets specific. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, 
but each of you to the interests of others. Rule number one is about the intensity of your love for God. Rule number two here is about the intensity of your love for the people of God. Rule number one is a call to worship. Rule number two is a call to community. And this is verse 2. Notice verse 2, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit. What is that if it's not a description of relational intensity within the body of Christ? Uh, It's thick. Community. Not thin. It's a call to substantive meaningful relationships, not just mere casual, superficial relationships. How's the weather? You think the Bears are going to go to the Super Bowl? Man, I'd love to spend some time on that, but I'm going to leave it. (laughs) You see, what Paul is saying here, I mean, think about this, is that church, as the New Testament understands it, is not a casual collection of individuals who attend a service and then spend the rest of their lives doing their own thing. No, church, the body of Christ, the family of God, we're all adopted siblings, we're adopted brothers and sisters. Uh, Church is a, uh, a caring community of sinners who have been humbled, humbled by God's grace. And so we don't merely accept each other, we invest in each other. And we open our lives to one another regularly as we open our Bibles regularly. Paul is telling us discipleship happens in relationships. That was the video. I need you so I can better love God. You need me so you can better love God. You need Tom. You need Jane. You need Bill. You need Frank. You need Susan. And according to verses 3 and 4, the key is humility. Uh, The humility that says, okay, my life is frenzied, my life is out of control. Uh, uh, the humility that says we live in a self-oriented culture and I'm going to be different. And by God's grace, I'm going to figure out a way to uh, carve out in my lifetime to put other people's interests ahead of my own. And I got to tell you, you can't do that apart from humility. And so not surprisingly, Paul goes on in this passage and tells us uh, that's exactly what Jesus Christ exhibited for us. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's Jesus. So if Jesus did that for me, how dare I say, you know what, Jesus, I don't have an appetite for other people right now. I don't have margin for other people to love and serve them. The world, listen to this, the world today tells you you are better. So withdraw from people. Paul says, you are humble, therefore invest in people. In our culture, loving God is hard because it demands we deny ourselves uh, by giving up our our control. And we live in a world that tells us, uh, 
Control is what makes the world go around. Never surrender your control. We can't love God without surrendering control. And in the same way our, 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 our culture tells us loving one another in the body of Christ is very uh, hard because we don't live in a culture where we deny ourselves. We indulge ourselves. But Paul says here, you must deny yourself by <clears throat> surrendering your individualism. And we live in a world that exalts autonomy. So great rules require big resolutions. And the resolution I want to offer you for 2019 is to commit to a, a small group, what we call life groups here at Wheaton Bible Church. Now open your worship folder and look at the page on the left and the different paragraphs that explain our life group ministry. What is a life group? Well, a life group is roughly, what, I don't know, six, seven, eight people to 14, 15, 16 people. It, it just depends. But, they, but you meet weekly for 10 weeks. And you have three 10-week cycles of, during the course of the year. That's 30 out of the 52 weeks of the year. And if you look at the third paragraph here uh, under why join a life group, notice the statements. Because the statements reflect stories. And I want to say to you, I wish these stories for you. That you would openly and honestly process life in a small group, in a life group, where you listen to each other, you study the Bible together, and you encourage each other to use the gifts and abilities God has given you. Over the years, here at Wheaton Bible Church, I, I personally have thrived rather than just merely survived because of the depth of the community I experience here. The encouragement I find from other people. Now you may think you're too tired, you're too overbooked, or, or maybe you're a five on the Enneagram scale. And so you're like a refrigerator where the door is locked. And you don't process well openly. But I just want to say to you, and this is my promise to you, you give yourself to community and community will give itself to you a hundredfold. That's the promise here. Discipleship happens in community. So look at the last paragraph here on, on this page. What's the next step? The next step is to sign up for a life group soon. They're starting really soon. I want to invite you to step into community. Now let me go on. Rule number three and we'll be done. Rule number three is reach the world. And really a better way to say it is to reach your world. Now there are two aspects to this. The first is be salt and light. And the second is to be evangelistic. Now let me take salt and light. and Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus is at the front end of the Sermon on the Mount, and look what he says. Look at the metaphors. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, 
You have a calling every bit as important as any pastor or any missionary. It's a divine calling. What is that calling? It's a calling to be salt and light wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Now, salt refers to your stand for Jesus Christ, for your core convictions. You are full of both grace and truth. And in culture and wherever you are, you are like a preservative because you maintain biblical values. And the people around you see that you're not angry. You're not throwing other people under the bus. You're not backstabbing. Man, you're approachable. You're loving. You're selfless. Now, light, the metaphor means all of this, but it also means you reflected Jesus by your good deeds. And you're looking for things to do that cause the flourishing of the people around you. And you're known for your good deeds because you're a person that travels through life asking the question, well, how can I help? What can I do? How can I, I can't meet all the needs, but how can I meet this need? Now, let me digress for a second because too long, the one area where we have neglected this or we haven't made a connection between being salt and light and our life is in work, your job, your vocation, whether it's paid or unpaid. And I want to share a verse with you to encourage you. I happen to think it's a remarkable verse relative to our jobs. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 17, where Paul says each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them, just as God called them. Now notice the word called at the end of the verse. Paul, in this context, is talking about relationships, but he is also talking about our jobs. Do you see what this means? This means that your job or your responsibilities at home or in in the community is a divine calling from God. It's a divine assignment from God. Uber driver or teacher, carpenter, coach or CEO, student or stay-at-home mom, retiree, all of these are sacred vocational callings from God. Now, what does that mean? That means your work matters to God and God matters to your work. And work is never a problem you endure. It's a platform God has assigned to you to be salt and light by pursuing excellence in your work, excellence in your relationship with others. So you serve others instead of competing with others. You love others instead of backstabbing. As I said a moment ago, you're kind rather than angry. And people see that in your life. It's part of what being salt and light is. And nowhere do we as followers of Christ have a greater opportunity than in our work because the Bible tells us our work is infused with inherent dignity regardless of what it is. So let me go on to the second piece of this. 
and that is to be evangelistic. If being salt and light emphasizes our works, being evangelistic emphasizes our words. So Jesus says in Matthew 28 and verse 19, go, 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 and make disciples of all nations. Now hear me in this. The one is not more important than the other. Some of you will never be able to share the gospel at work or in the marketplace, but you can be salt and light. But if you are salt and light, God will give you a platform so that you can tell others. You take them out to breakfast, you take them out to lunch, dinner, whatever. You can tell others about Jesus Christ and the gospel and what he has done to change your life. And we are not ashamed. We are now close to 800 churches in the Chicagoland area who are going to participate in this one-time event, the seven-week outreach series entitled Explore God, as we talked about in the video. Explore God is a series for the unchurched or the de-churched. You've seen it on billboards all around the city. And what we're going to do is respond to basic questions all of us have. Does life have purpose? Is Jesus God? What about suffering and evil? And I want to invite you to join Rhonda and me, and this is the resolution, to invest in people and invite people to join us starting next week for this Explore God series. Imagine if every believer in all of these hundreds of churches brought at least one friend. So, 20 minutes a day, everyone in a group, invest and invite and use Explore God over the next seven weeks. But I've got to say this and I'm done. We cannot, we cannot, we have to understand that we can't do this stuff on our own. Did you know 80% of the people that adopt New Year's resolutions in January have failed and given up uh, sometime in February? Uh, how much more difficult these three rules of life and these three resolutions? You, you see, they're not like balloons that you blow up with your own breath and you have to keep tapping to keep them afloat. That's unsustainable. Rather, these are balloons, but they need helium, and the helium is Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, experienced in our adoption into God's family and our union, this intimacy we enjoy by G with Jesus, and we access this by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Because when we see the beauty and the wonder of the perfect life and perfect death of Jesus, it changes, now hear me, it changes our wants, our desires, our rules, and our regulation, uh, and our resolutions. I knew I was going to call them regulations. 
by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the root, the rules of life and the resolutions are the fruit. And the Holy Spirit brings the harvest. So, Father, we praise you for the abundance of your grace that you have given us your son. And now I want to pray for my brothers and sisters as we start this year with all the potential of a new year and pray, God, that you would order our desires, that you would give us grace and community, and that you would enable us to be salt and light and evangelistic as you open the doors. And now, Father, as we give to you, we give to you because you have so generously given to us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.